Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Tell Us What's in the Box. What's in the box? What is in the box today? It's more like what's out of the box, right? Yes. What's out of this world, out of your mind, in your mind, but out of it. Lots of um, mystical realism and is what you see really real or is it not? Or what is going on? What is this long boy, right? So if you recognize Long Boy, <laughs> today we will be talking um, about a new miniseries on the Apple TV Plus network streaming service. I think that's the name of it. Apple TV, mm-hmm. <laughs> whatever. It's the 2021 miniseries, Lisey's Story, starring Julianne Moore and Clive Owen. And it's based on the Stephen King novel by the same name. Hey. And I know Danny in particular is stoked about this one. I have things. So you have say. things. Well, unleash the beast. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, well, okay. First of all, this is going to be a first for us because this is going to be a two-part episode, a two-parter. Um, because the miniseries is eight episodes. Um, so we're doing the first four now, and then we will do the next four in the next part. So we're only talking about the first four episodes, which are um, Bull Hunt, and then Bull Hunt, Blood Bull, Under the Yum Yum Tree, and Jim Dandy. Oh, are the names of the first, first four episodes. <laughs> now, some background on this one. Um, I've read the book. Um, I don't think. Uh, Joanna, have you read? Have you? Read no, I have not read the book. I this is fresh to me. Fresh Stephen King. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, cool. All right. So um, I did put some information in the notes. The novel was released in two thousand six. So quite a while ago, um, I was 26 years old, just, a, just in my 20s. Then I will not tell you how old I was, although I, know, I'm just I was know. over 18. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, it won the Bram Stoker Award that year for Best Novel. And it uh, was nominated for the World Fantasy Award uh, the following year. Mm-hmm. Um, and in and a excerpt from the novel Tidy Lisi and the Madman was published in McSweeney's and was nominated for the Bram Stoker for Best Long Fiction. Um, Stephen King has often said, um, it says King said that this is the favorite of the novels he has written. He's not just said it once, he's said it multiple times mm. that this is one of his favorites that he's done. And um, I, I think I can see why. Um, I feel like, you know, all the stuff Stephen King writes, personal, you know, it, it, you know, everything a writer writes is, is personal in some kind of way. But I think this one was personal in a different way for mm-hmm. Stephen King. This one was really about his relationship with his wife. I mean, honestly, let's, let's be honest. Um, he dedicated the book to Tabitha. Um, mm-hmm. It says for Tabitha still mm-hmm. on it. And, um, you know, they've been married for forever. They met in college. And so I feel like that's why it's kind of, he talks about it as being his favorite because for him, it was navigating a very intimate relationship for him. It was navigating something that he still has in his life and what that means, you know? And how the idea of the novel came to be has a very interesting backstory, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in 2003, he had a double pneumonia. Um, and he's talked about this in a couple of interviews. And he was in the hospital. And when he came home from the hospital, Tabitha had been redoing his office. And she just decided to redo the office, I guess. And his stuff was in boxes. And he kind of realized that that's what it would be like after he died. Like all of his stuff packed up, no longer there. Um, you know, it's one of those weird um, experiences that you have sometimes where mm-hmm. it's kind of a liminal space kind of thing in a weird way. You know, you go to a space that's normally one way, 
you know, like an airport or a train station or school or something like that. And you're there when nobody's there. And it's very weird. It's very putting liminal spaces. And I think this was sort of a liminal moment for him where it's sort of like, this is what it would be like, you know, if I wasn't here, you know, all my stuff is taken off the shelves. All this stuff is packed away. No, it was temporary at the time. It kind of made him think about what it would be like when he eventually passes on. Um, as, as any writer would do, yeah, you know, yeah. you just lay there in the hospital bed, like say <laughs> with double pneumonia going like, you know, yeah, I am mortal. Yeah. Now my shit's going to get packed up Sunday. Let's turn this into a book. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, this book has a lot of different kind of relationships in it. Um, it has, you know, of course, the main one. Um, I'm just going to kind of list them off and then we can kind of start talking um, about it. You know, the main one, of course, is between Lizzie and Scott, mm-hmm. you know, uh, wife and husband, husband and wife. Um, that's the main one. I mean, that's the one that everything, you know, turns on. And then, of course, you have the relationship between Scott and this professor um, who taught his, his stuff. Um, and the relationship between Scott Landon and um, Jim Dooley. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, you know, that's a relationship. I mean, I mean, let's not talk about one-sided, but, but the relationship it's a relationship, regardless of whether it's one-sided or not. It's a, it's a connection of some kind. Um, and then, of course, you have the relationship between Scott and uh, Lizzie's sisters. And the relationship between Scott and his brother, Paul. And the relationship between Scott and his father. And, um, you know, so all those relationships are are there. Mm. Um yeah Lisey too like her relationship with her with her right exactly her relationship with her sisters her relationship with um yeah Jim Dooley you know which you know they both have kind of you know her relationship with the professor and how that works out and stuff like that you know all these relationships you know there's it's, it's complicated this is a very you know relationship heavy all of his books have a lot of different relationships in it but this one has a very um you know a depth to it you know really deep diving into the depth and intimacies of of relationships that you have with people um yeah that i that i think is like i said one of the reasons why i think king calls it his favorite because it really is about that um, Absolutely, and it's about There's, being married. It, it's about being yeah. married, and at its heart, it's about that relationship. Um, you know, I, I thought this was going to be a very interesting discussion because I'm married, and yep. I've been married for eight, almost nine years now. Joanna has never been married. Never <laughs> but, married. Nope. Um, she's had relationships before, so I think it'll be very interesting to yeah hear. <laughs> you and know, most of those relationships are... ended in disasters. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, you know. Um, yeah, so I think it's going to be yeah it's gonna be very very interesting to hear. Um, you know, both of our you know different perspectives, having had different relationships in our lives, and currently in in different relationships, and and how that works. You know. Yeah. Um, because I, I do think there is a difference between uh, dating and being married at a certain point. At a certain mm-hmm. point, dating becomes like being married. Um, you know, if you're dating someone long enough and your boyfriend yeah. and girlfriend long enough, it kind of turns into that kind of relationship. But I think when you're married, it there, there's there's a stability and a reliance there when you get married uh, that is not there when you're dating because when Mm -hmm. you're dating it's kind of like I know I have the option without too much fuss of walking away yeah you know and like I said at a certain point you know your lives become so entangled you might as well be married (laughs) but you know if you're dating somebody you know it's fairly simple to just you know stop when you're married it's a lot more difficult. It's, it's, a it's, it's, you know, your lives are so entangled that it becomes a lot more difficult. to. Oh yeah. I mean, away. especially, yeah. If you're only dating somebody and you're not, 
living together. It's easy just to walk up and be like, all right, peace. Ain't working. Sorry. And then walk away and you're like, what? (laughs) So, so yeah, so I've been talking a lot. Oh, and I will also say there are lots of interesting little Easter eggs in this um, that I can point out along the way. I would love for you to do that too. Um, So yeah, I will say aside from like for me, for aside from the, the whole marriage thing, which I'm sure there's so much stuff like about Lizzie and Scott and that sort of relationship, you know, their dynamic that you picked up on that I probably didn't because I'm just like, oh, okay. Booyah moon, this weird water stuff. Like what the heck is going on? So for me, it didn't start to click until about the fourth episode. And that's all what we're, what we're talking about for this episode. Just me, I spent, excuse me, a good part of it, just trying to wrestle with, is this real? Is this whole, is, is Scott Landon an alien? What the heck is going on? What are these abilities? But I was still extremely intrigued because, you know, there is, it does talk about mental illness um, mm-hmm. and we, we get that a lot with, with Amanda, but mm-hmm. then you realize like, she's not like it's, there's this fine line between, yeah, she's, ooh, I just knocked my mic over <laughs> um, and she's, and that she's, Italian with your hands, with and- my hands moving, <laughs> right. Podcasting's a danger for me. I talk with my hands too much. Um, but yeah, with her, it's like, Yes, it's mental illness, but then it also isn't at the same time. And I feel like that's a very fine line that King walks. Um, of course, and I haven't read read the book, so I'm basing oh. it off of just the miniseries. But it's a very fine line that he walks, and I feel like anybody else, it could easily tip one way or the other, you know. So he doesn't. He like the show allows the watcher to kind of come to their own conclusions at a gradual pace without forcing them or being like too heavy handed about like, no, this is a fantasy world or like, no, this is about mental illness or anything, anything like that. It just kind of organically, you know, the story breathes on, on its own. Um, and that also gives us so much meat to dig into these yeah. relationships. Yeah, I think with King, um, it's pretty much a given. He doesn't really do the, like, they're making it up thing. Um, mm. In my experience, ever, yeah. for reading him for so long, it is there. Like, like Scotland really is going to this place. Yeah. Um, it, it just is the supernatural things most of the time in Stephen King are given that they're real. Um, that that that's what's happening. Yeah. Um, and but I think the purpose of that is metaphors for other things. You know, um, mm. so so while the supernatural stuff goes on, I feel like you know, whether King does this intentionally or not, it's always the thing of what did the author intend? Are they really doing this? Yeah. But at least I often read that supernatural stuff while it's real in the story, in the book, this is really happening. Scott Landon's going to this place. It's a metaphor. Mm-hmm. It, it's a metaphor for something else. It's, it's trying to explain something about human nature and the human mind. Um in a way that's that's concrete right by using supernatural stuff mm. and Stephen King there's here's you know one of the little uh easter eggs um you know that he that that is in there at least a little bit it's just something that Stephen King has talked about over the years about how his creativity happens mm. and he's often talked about it as a well <laughs> that he goes to a lake that he goes to and and drinks from and goes back and puts the stories in and and they come out he's done that several times um you know so this is kind of a manifestation of that um in you know booyah moon it's like what he's come up with to kind of use that metaphor for scotland 
going to this place, coming back and then writing it down, his magical realism stuff and, and you know, using that and, and writing books about it and stuff. So it, it's kind of that part is kind of wrestling with the question of, you know, that particular part of it, talking about their relationship is, you know, the author's relationship to their creativity. Where does it come from? Mm-hmm. You know, and I think, I think it's one of those things where you don't know, you know, I mean, you can, you can make guesses, you know, I mean, oftentimes, you know, we just put things together, you know, that's how it comes. It comes from living life and observing things and then shoving things together like a puzzle. And then all of a sudden you have a story, but that process is still so mysterious and still so different for everybody. Um, that it, that it's, and, and how much are you responsible for, you know, of, of what you put down, yeah. you know, how much of it is you, how much of it is divine inspiration, drinking from a well, drinking from a pool, you know, my husband calls it tapping into the stream, like the mm-hmm. creative stream and, and, you know, and, and doing that, you know, however you describe it, you know, how much, how much of it is you and, and what's your relationship to that, you know, yeah. um, first of I, all, because <clears throat> it's, it's Scott's creativity that kind of blasts everything you know mm-hmm. it's the reason why everybody wants his stuff it's the reason why Jim Dooley's after the you know Lizzie you know it, it's kind of the impetus because he wrote these things down and stuff it's kind of the impetus that makes everything else go so I think un- unboxing his relationship to his creativity yeah. um you know, is kind of, is kind of central, maybe the first play. I mean, what do you think? I've, I've been going on and on and on. No, but, uh, I mean, yeah, I, I feel, I mean, if that is the place that Scott like goes to, if that's the well for his creativity, first of all, it's a pretty dark place. <laughs> it's a very dark place, but it also is from the way that it's shown in the, you know, first half of the mini series, it's also a place where you can legitimately go to and be connected to other people. Cause you get shots of like, um, Scott, there trying to calm Amanda down. Um, or like, uh, at the end of the fourth episode, um, Lisi, you see a shot of her turning on the water to go get Scott because he's just stuck in that land and to go get him and bring and bring him back um, closer and, and then closer to like the timeline of current events um, with Amanda being being in the um, the care facility. You know, she can hear Lisey screaming when she's being attacked by Jim Dandy. Mm-hmm. So I feel like they're is also a mystical connection of this place to other people who mm-hmm. have the ability to go to it, right? Right. You know? And then also in the very first episode, um, and it, it gets referenced throughout throughout the rest, there's the guy that shoots Landon, and he's saying basically not just you stole my stories, but like you stole my thoughts. Right. So this yeah. is somebody, yeah. So, so let's talk about talk about that it's an interesting place to talk about because the relationship where Scott goes and he gets this inspiration he brings it back and he writes these things and Lisi asks him you know are there other people here he says yes they're but they're broken Mm. like the people that can go there are people who have problems including Scott and Amanda Mm. um and I think there's no other way to put it other than you know they have they have mental illness yeah um and that's how that's what they get there. And the other people um, who are there are broken. As Scott, as Scott puts it, they're broken. Um, other mentally ill people probably. And it's clarified that, that not only does that place kind of give him the inspiration, he sees visions there that he writes about um, looking out onto the water. Um, you don't really get this in the miniseries at mm-hmm. this point, um, but in the book, it describes vividly you get the impression that everybody sees something different out in the water. Mm. And that's what Scott's writes. He, he sees visions out on the water while he's sitting there 
and that's what he writes. Um, it, the yeah. only time you really see is when Amanda's there and she's seeing the Hollyhocks. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, um, so that's kind of how it works. So you see, and, and it heals, you know, which is an interesting aspect of it. The water heals there, um, gives Scott the creative spark. But Lizzie also points out to her sister and Scott points this out that it also fascinates Mm -hmm. it also can 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 keep you there and fascinate you and hold you there kind of like narcissus looking into the water um so so it so to me that indicates this kind of complicated relationship with creativity that scott has it's it's complicated in the fact that one it heals him he goes there, he gets creative, it heals him. And you and I are both writers and we know that yeah. writing can be very cathartic, yeah. can be very healing when you get these things up. But it also fascinates you. You know, you can get so in it that you're forgetting, you know, to live, that you're forgetting oh, yeah. other things. You know, you, it can it can just be, you know, if you don't balance it out, you know, and it also... <sighs> You know, it's also where you face things that you might not want to face being broken. It's also the place when you go into your creative mind, you face things that you might not want to face about yourself, memories that you might not Mm -hmm. want to face. You're going into that creative parts of your mind that are the deeper parts of your mind and pulling on things that you might not remember, personality traits you might not want to remember, things you've done you're not exactly proud of. Um, pain that you've been through and stuff like that so it's this very complicated relationship both healing and fearful of confronting things about yourself and also fascinating at the same time and I think that's really I mean if you're creative I can understand that I don't know how you felt about that but to me I'm like I can see all that complication in that relationship that definitely makes sense. I mean, as a creative individual, whatever your creativity is, you know, you're going to have to, there's no other way, like you have to have a place like that. Right. And especially if you're drawing on some real deep emotions and whatever you're writing, it's like, you have to force yourself to go there, even though you don't want to, because it's the only way that you're going to tap, tap into it. I know there's stuff that I'm like, I have ideas and I'm like, I'll get to this eventually because I'm like, oh, I don't want to wait in the water. I'm scared. Yeah. <laughs> yeah like, you can't, you don't want to go there. Yeah. yeah. You know, you're like, I'm not ready to unpack that. Yet. Yeah. I don't, that, that box is going to sit in the corner of the attic. I don't want to pack that. I don't want to unpack it because I know, I know what's in the box. And then if I open the box, you know, like, am I like, I know emotionally shit's going to hit the fan, but then it's also like, can I pull myself out of it? How long is that going to take? You know, how bad of a reaction am I going to have with it? Mm-hmm you know, and that def- this place definitely had that strong vibe to it. And then of course there's Longboy, who to me seemed like to be made of people yeah. <laughs> that's going around just eating them up and collectively putting them into a giant form. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, that's terrifying. <laughs> like to go there yeah. and never come back. <laughs> right. You know, and I think that's the you know, when, when it completely consumes you, you know, when it, when, you know, you can't come back and you can't, you know, that's what, that's what happens. So I think in the end, the conclusion is, is that, is that there's all these aspects to creativity and Scott's relationship to his creativity Mm -hmm. and stuff, which I think leads well into talking about the relationship between Scott and his work and how, Jim Dooley and the guy who shot him relate to his work. Oh my God. It's a whole different thing. Cause if you're talking about writing something from, from deep parts of yourself, troubled parts of yourself, they're going to speak to other people who have Mm -hmm. been through those things. That's what people want. They want to feel connected. They want to feel understood. And that can become dangerous. Oh yeah. That can, as we see, you know, those two are, it turned to, you know, an an extreme level. Different levels of fanaticism. Yeah. And I think that's partly why 
um, the guy says before he shoots Scott and says, you stole my mind. Because if you think of it as a mm. metaphor for a place, it's probably something who all, somebody who also goes to Booyah Moon. Yeah. One of those broken people you see, right? That's probably mm. who that guy was. And he recognized it in Scott's work. And instead of taking it as someone understands, he feels like Scott stole something from him. Yeah. And that's why he goes and shoots it. Yeah. And says, you know, you stole my mind. Um, because he's probably someone who goes to Booyah Moon too. Yeah. Um, and metaphorically, that means someone who, you know, in a physical sense in the story, someone who literally goes to Booyah Moon like Scott does. Mm-hmm. In a metaphorical sense, uh, my argument would be that it's somebody who also has dark places. Scott is a cutter. Yeah. You know, he, he has these mental issues from being abused right. and from being all of this stuff. Um, and, and so that's probably what that guy saw there and felt like yeah. Scott was stealing, you know, yeah how you make those connections with stealing like, his legitimately stealing you yeah. know um and obviously he, he shoots scott so he's not mentally stable um yeah. but if he's feeling like his you know his mind his um experiences were legitimately stolen it could also be this this issue of like you stole who i am i could have written this down and gotten a lot of money for it you know just something like that hypothesizing because you don't you you don't really know like it's not delved into a lot in the first half of the miniseries like why he says you stole my mind but then you get to booyah moon and you learn a little bit more about it and then you understand like oh well they can read each other's thoughts in and out of there then like you know sure scott picked up some rogue thought waves or something like that yeah, you and know my impression is is that you know it's not so much that the guy wanted the money or something like that it's yeah just my impression and reading the book um it, it's more like he did feel like something in his experience was stolen mm-hmm. a cheapened perhaps um, by what Scott did with it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it's, it's like feeling violated. Yeah. Right? Can you imagine having a place like that in your mind that you go to, to heal? Um, you know, it's kind of scary at the same time. Yeah. And then to recognize it in somebody's work and feel like you've been violated. Yeah. And this is my impression. No, that um, totally makes sense. Right. And then as for uh, Jim Dooley or, or Jim Dandy, um, who can I say that that actor was really oh, dang good? Oh my God. What's um Dave something? What's his... um? Yeah. Google that. I think out of all of the actors um in the series so far, aside from... um the the professor who if you if he seems familiar to you then you probably have seen him on this is us recently he uh Mm -hmm. plays randall's biological father and he's just an absolute joy to watch on dane dehan dane dehan yeah he um had some american horror story vibes in his character you know and man that guy's like unabomber creepy the way he played the character so like just so well like you see this as a young man but his face is worn and tired like like an old man like yeah oh man yeah and like he had the cutout of scott and (laughs) all of that stuff and you're just like yeah, I mean, yeah. Stephen King does like to write about crazy fans. This wouldn't be the first time. No, <laughs> I wonder where that comes from. I know, right? <laughs> you think Stephen King has had some, you know, yeah, fans who are not so appropriate? Yeah, oh, yeah, <laughs> shocking, shocking. <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, that actor did so, you know. If Dane DeHaan happens to listen to this, I thoroughly appreciated your performance because it was you did yeah. very well. I was I was thoroughly creeped out. I just wanted him to go away. 
Oh yeah. <laughs> just, just, okay. You can go, you're, you're, you're making me uncomfortable. Yeah. I found it like the same level of commitment to the creepiness in that character. It reminded me of the guy who played Buffalo Bill in Silence of the Lambs. Mm-hmm. It's just, there's something about their performance where you totally believe. And it's like, you're a real person. Oh my God. Yeah. 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 Um, and and the character's relationship to Scott's work is he obviously put Scott on a pedestal. Yeah. So whereas the one guy read it and was like, you stole my mind. Uh, Jim read it and he was like, this guy's special. He understands. He knows. Mm-hmm. He knows the secrets of the universe and, and just, you know, like just putting him up there. He's so special. He's the greatest. He deserves yeah. all the prizes. He's so important in all of this stuff, you know, <laughs> like killing the guy or like going and attacking the guy with a pie who was like, you know, dissing Scott, oh, yeah, you know, and stuff like that, you know, you know, that sort of thing. So it's kind of two opposites, mm-hmm. you know, neither one working out real healthily. No, um, no. <laughs> But, you know, um, you know, him basically putting everything on Scott and telling Lizzie she was basically, like, just there to have sex yeah. with Yeah. And that was it. Which is really, uh, you know, which is a, a piece I wanted to talk about mm-hmm. that, you know, I feel like is a part of marriage. But first, I wanted to indicate uh, an Easter egg. Oh. Um, when he's in the library and he's reading the book and he talks to the library and creeps the fucking library. Oh my God. That shit. scene was poor library. <laughs> so, oh my God. Dude. I, I would have done her position. I just like, I will tell you, you know, just, yep. Uh-huh. We should do that. Yeah. Uh-huh. You know, I mm-hmm. totally, I was like, she did not do anything dumb. I totally would have acted the same way. Yeah. Been like, yep. Uh-huh. Yep. But the book that he's reading and says talks about being scott's favorite when he was a kid and stuff like that was Mm -hmm. charlie the Uh choo-choo which is based off of um the dark tower series oh and charlie the train engine the mad train that shows up in uh wizard and glass i believe um the third book of the the uh of the of the series dark tower series Yeah. yeah and you can buy it i mean it's it's a kid's book that they actually made Oh my um, God, that's so cool. I'm glad we're doing this episode with like all of your Stephen King knowledge. I love it. <laughs> I love that you saw the Easter eggs. Yeah, so that's, that's the book that he's reading. It's based off a character from the Dark Tower series. The train like is basically mad mm-hmm. um, and like tries to kill everybody and stuff like that. <laughs> it's been a while since I read Dark Tower, but so yeah, there, So there is um, a sort of logic to the... PC gaming modding community putting Thomas the Tank Engine as like villains and monsters in a bunch of games that are trying to kill you. <laughs> yeah. Um, and one of the other Easter eggs he talks about, um, you know, is there's now at least he talks about well one one little thing that's just kind of like a little it's not like an easter egg quite like that but it's just something that's interesting about stephen king's work because it is so close so mm-hmm. there's some very close things in it when lazy talks about um lazy talks about she thinks um she's talking to her sister and her sister does not uh understand what what she's talking which about. sister amanda uh, or darla 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 okay darla. when they're talking and they're having wine and cigarettes and stuff like that oh like yeah the fourth one this is perfect the i wanted one. to talk about darla and okay yeah her, sure. and her relationship with her sisters so i feel like this is a good segue but continue yeah. <laughs> well all i was gonna point out is yeah. easy talks about like well scott's was all one world you know everybody thinks they're all different world yeah and it's actually one world well actually <laughs> Uh, Stephen King often all of his books if you pick up his new books all the ones that have are in the same like universe Mm -hmm. connect to each other are highlighted and so most of his books are actually uh, connected to each other in some way oh I love it via the dark tower like if you think the dark tower is kind of (laughs) forgive everybody who's a dark tower the beams you know kind of the center point Mm -hmm. of everything a lot of other stories um, come out of that like meaningful things um hearts of atlantis um all sorts of all sorts of them i can't even remember them all it Mm -hmm. everything like that all connects 
to that world. Yeah. Um, to those one world that Stephen King has. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of them just kind of connect are all together and stuff like that. Um, anyway, so that so that's an interesting thing. You know, she talks about that with Scott, but that's something that literally Stephen King has done. And connect cool. connect all of his it. stuff to kind of this met this magical world that yeah. he created. The metaverse. The metaverse, yeah. <laughs> the Dark Tower is the metaverse. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So like uh Pennywise and it comes from there. Oh wow. And a lot of the other stuff like needful things and um you know, the stand mm-hmm. is part of it. Um has one of the few characters that go back and forth like Pennywise does um but you know the mm-hmm. man in black goes back and forth and you see him in other books like the stand and the dark tower yeah and stuff like that also so I thought that was interesting if you know because that that little thing was something that Stephen King does so she wasn't wrong but you yeah. were going to talk about the sister oh Darla talk about god Darla what the heck is her problem <laughs> she's very angry but I also feel like it comes from a legitimate place because I mean you have Lisey who married a famous author blah 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 you know living living the high life so she gets like a lot of attention in one way and then Amanda um lots of mental health issues um her husband leaving her at the beginning of the miniseries is like what makes her crack again and then it's a downward spiral from from there but she gets a lot of attention in a different way because she needs a lot of care right and so Darla just seems like she's kind of chilling between between the two um and of course Lisi gets attention because her husband recently passed so I feel like Darla's relationship to her two sisters is at this point she is done like she is mentally and emotionally and physically exhausted. She is done. She wants somebody to take care of her, but she is she isn't in a position to take a break. And I feel like, you know, she loves both of her sisters very much, but she gets on Lisey's case, I think, in an almost unfair way a lot of the time. Like, I think she's too hard on Lisey. Um, And I think maybe with Darla, that comes from a place of like, you know, you are capable of helping me with Amanda. I need help. You know, you need to do X, Y, and Z. And she tries to take the the, uh, charge with it. And when Lisey isn't you know, responding the way that Darla expected or wanted her, she has a tendency to bring up a lot of shit from from the past. And I feel like she's been harboring these sort of negative feelings and maybe even jealousy mm-hmm. against her sister, Lisi, for a long time. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 hard. I yeah. mean <laughs> it's it's hard. I, I mean we do. And, you know, this is going to be a sensitive topic, everybody, because I'm going to start talking about mental illness. I mean, we've touched on it, but we Mm -hmm. haven't, you know, but, but in depth, living with someone, caring for someone, loving someone who has mental illness is tough. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not going to sugarcoat it, you know, I mean, you do it because you love them and you know that that's how they are and stuff, but that, that doesn't mean it's easy. That does not mean it's easy at all. It's hard. It's hard. And there's so little respite for people who do that because larger society would rather forget it exists. So getting help or assistance Mm -hmm. or knowing what to do or even communicating about what it's like with other people um, who have mentally ill people in their life is hard. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard to know what to do. You know, I mean, it's hard to know what to do if you have someone in front of you who's struggling with mental illness. You know, you want to help, but you feel like everything you do is not helping. Mm -hmm. You know, and you feel like a failure. Yeah. When it doesn't work. So her rage when she walked into a man, when Darla walked into Amanda's room and found that she cut herself. Oh, yeah. I totally understood. I would have started, I would have been the same fucking way. Yeah. Like, I'm going to suit you were supposed to be fucking watching her. Yeah. 
what the fuck? She's a cutter. You know this. How the fuck did she get these? You know, like yeah. I would have been, I totally felt Darla in that. I would have been yeah, I, mm-hmm. just as fucking pissed. Yeah, the whole reason why they're paying to have her in this place where she can get the care that she needs is because, I mean, Darla and Lisi can't do it alone. And especially Darla. Darla can't do it alone either. And Lisi is trying as best she can to split her time in making sure she's helping Darla and taking care of Amanda while she's basically dealing with Jim Dandy and the psycho who will probably try to kill her, you know, and not just give her a beating. Yeah. It's hard. I, yeah, understand like Darla's rage at that moment. Um, but obviously she's had, she's harbored, anger over past things over a very long time you know which bleed sure that into is. This. i mean yeah. it wears down it yeah. wears down you know because she's been dealing with it i'm sure her whole life you know it's her sisters so yeah. you know she's she's been there for all the ups all the downs all the yeah. all the stuff and and you know it's it's wears you down you know it really does so you know as she put it i think she said something like i'm just scared or I'm just tired and when I get tired I get mean yeah something like that in the last episode mm-hmm. played, she's played by the great Jennifer Jason Leigh yes. by the way so yeah pretty pretty awesome um yeah I mean I will, and what I was gonna say was it kind of leads into uh marriage uh relationship and I really wanted to, t- to touch mm-hmm. on this where uh Jim Dandy accuses um quite a few times accuses Lizzy of you know just warming his bed she's useless she was a hostess you know when they met et cetera, et cetera, and blah 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 although I will point out that that's kind of a, a, a ridiculous thing to say because he wasn't a famous author when they met yeah he was like struggling so it's not mm-hmm. like she married him for his money she, yeah she <laughs> held down the fort and believed in him when her own family was telling her like oh he's just some hack writer who's never gonna fucking make it why are you wasting your time with him but she she believed in him yeah uh, that part and cut I, deep I'm just like fuck you family <laughs> yeah right yeah you know um and I think it goes often unsaid when people look at a marriage. And I really felt that because my husband and I have the same sort of thing where when you look at it from certain perspectives, it looks lopsided, mm-hmm. right? You know, my husband goes and works. Um, he has a nine to five job. He makes, you know, 90% of the money that we use. And I, I write, I do my thing. And, and I do this and it's there, but we've often had these discussions because I felt that too, you know, like Mm -hmm. I could have been saying those things to myself saying, you know, what are you actually doing? You know, what are you actually contributing? You know? And the thing is, is what Lizzie gave to Scott and they talk about, he called her his anchor. She's the one that gives him the stability. She's the one that gives him love. Yeah. And she's the one that's there for him. And that's worth more than whatever money he makes on his books and mm-hmm. stuff like that. That's a partnership. And as yeah. Lizzie says, we were partners. We relied on each other. She relied on him. He relied on her mm-hmm. to help him through his, his, you know, episodes that he had of cutting or when he goes away to Booyah Moon and, and all this stuff and all the fake people that would come after him for his fame and everything like that. People who wanted things from him, there was always Lizzie. Yeah. Like money. And so can't, you know, support everything. Right. And, you know, it seemed like that's what everybody was kind of putting that on, right? Like, well, he made the money. It was his writing that got you all this stuff. You know, what did you do? And, and the points of a marriage, a partnership, it's not like that. No. There's so much more to that support system than who makes the money. Yeah. Because we are more than making money. Absolutely. We are human beings with mental and spiritual and needs of wanting to be with someone. So when you look at it, like, yeah, Scott wrote and he made the money and people loved his books, 
but he needed Lizzie. He needed mm. Lizzie to keep him from falling apart. Yeah. From 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 going away and never coming back from Booyah Moon, you know, using using the metaphor and the thing from not cutting himself. Yeah. From, you know, all those things that she did to keep him there, to keep him grounded. And yeah. he noted it too and appreciated it. You know. Absolutely. And, and that's so much more important. It's, it's so much more important. And that right there is why I was talking about, you know, where, you know, Stephen King has been married a long time yeah. <laughs> because that's what marriage is, you know? And so if you look out on the outside and you say, well, he makes all this money, what does she do? Or she makes all this money. What does he do? Or what do they do? Or, mm-hmm. or whatever. You're missing the point. Yeah. You're missing the point. And it's so hard to describe, you know, I'm trying not to get into too much detail, but just when I say, I kind of understand that Lizzie's position and her role in things, you know, um, and actually, you know, my husband posted it on Facebook. So, uh, you know, I'm not going to worry too much about it, but, you know, I posted how, how much I appreciate him supporting me. And his response was, you know, well, mostly I appreciate how Danny makes it so I don't self-destruct. Oh, yeah. yeah. He has he has anxiety and depression yeah. and stuff like that. And yeah, he does that. But I'm the one that, yeah. you know, we help each other. We, we keep things yeah. together. And you we give each together. other what the other one needs, you know? And needs yeah. isn't just money, you know? Right. Yeah, I mean, it helps, it not- <laughs> but it's... <laughs> yeah, I mean, somebody needs to do it, whether that's you together or one person yeah. or whatever. It doesn't matter. Yeah, but there's so much more to that marriage than just who makes the money to support us. Yeah. There's so much more to a partnership than that. And that's what really gets touched on in that. And it's what Jim Dooley doesn't understand is what the professor doesn't understand. Yeah. Wanting to take that stuff. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because that's not what it is, Mm-mm. you know, and if you were, and if you had a true partnership, you would understand that. Yeah. It's, you know, I mean, he yeah. calls her a parasite, you know, and, and, you know, thankfully Lizzie had the presence of mind to say, you know, no, we were partners. Yeah. You know, we relied on each other, you know? Yeah. I mean, as and if, you know, that would make it, you know, not going to make a difference to Jim, to Jim Danny, yeah. but it was important for her character to absolutely say, say that. Um, and to, you know, kind of, you know, add on to everything the what the what you're you're talking about, like the actual kind of like pre-famous Scott versus post-famous Scott. It's very, and I I also feel like it touches on a lot of like what writers go through generally, or anybody who's creative goes through generally who wants to pursue something creative like before you're famous you're gonna have a lot of people who are just like you're not gonna make it la-di-da what are you doing your lady or you know your 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 partner works at a restaurant and they're supporting you while you do what like you don't do anything you're you know it's so there's that first level of unfair judgment and then all of a sudden this person gets famous and then you know, their partner doesn't need to, to work anymore, you know, which, which is fantastic. You know, it's like, okay, you took care of me financially while I was living my dream. Now I'm going to do this for you because there's, Mm -hmm. you know, there's stuff that Lisi wanted to do as well. Uh, She got a partial scholarship to some college, I think, but then she had to give that up to go help take, take care of mom too. You know, that came up in an argument with her and uh, Darla, but then it's like, oh, okay. Now Scott Landon is famous and now his wife is a parasite. Like, no, 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 no. That's, that's fucked up. But it's also a very prevalent view in society still today, you know, or even if like, you know, there's a, hetero relationship and both the man and woman work but the woman makes more money there's still this whole like well why isn't the dude making more money why is you know Mm -hmm. why is the woman trying to hold a hold down the fort and it's you know it's like that's not the only way to do things in a relationship you also help holding down the fort you know by like 
just cleaning the house or whatever, you know, stuff, stuff like that, helping each other out, being there for the person when they need you, you know, and yeah, that's, I, yeah, June, everybody else, that's what they don't get about Scott and Lisey's marriage for sure. And it, it, it rang very true for me. Yeah. And the other part that rang very true for me was the things that they shared with each other. Like when they went and uh, Scott shared what happened with his father when they were under the, the yeah. tree and everything on their honeymoon and everything like that. There's just things you talk about with your partner, you share with them that nobody else sees. Yeah. Your fears, your past, mm-hmm. your hopes, your dreams. And how are you going to put money on that? You don't, you know, having someone there to share those things with that, you know, that no matter what you say, or no matter what you tell them about your past, they're going to be there for you. Yeah. That's worth more than anything. That's Mm -hmm. what being a partner is about, you know? And if you start thinking of it in material things, you've really lost the plot. Yeah. You know, so while, while Scott was telling her about, you know, Booyah Moon and what happened with his father and stuff like that, you know, and Lizzie said, you know, she wants to know, and then they don't have to talk. She wants to know. She wants it so that you don't have to share that burden by yourself. And that's what being a partner is all about. Mm -hmm. Whatever they're scared of, and especially someone who's mentally ill, yeah, um, who, who has mental illness, you know, having that support and someone trying to understand yeah, is worth more than anything else. You know, it's, you know, and, and the other stuff is just how you survive. You know, it's how you get food on the table. It's how you put a roof over your head. Mm-hmm. But that's just a small fraction of what a partnership and a marriage is all about. It's not the most important part. Yeah. It's not. And if you start thinking that it is like these other people, then you don't understand what being married or being in a relationship is about mm-hmm. at all in my opinion your team that's your teammate and it's also like you have to continue to choose to be to be that team to be there for for that person um you know and then when if you ever stop choosing that then you know you better immediately tell that other person before they you know uh go bananas trying to figure out what the fuck is happening (laughs) And so you just don't spring it on them randomly when you tell them you're going to come over for lunch, but then break up with them in their living room. Totally not speaking from experience at this point, but yeah. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Yeah. Some of those things, you know, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and it's just like, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, that's, what's at the core of it. I mean, Moon stuff and all of that stuff, you know, that's, that's the plot, but it's not the theme or the heart of the story. No, you know, it's about having a partner and knowing them and, and everything about them in the midst of a crazy, crazy fucked up world. You know, the, that's the horrors, the horrors of families breaking down the horrors of outsiders, you know, trying to ruin your life. Um, the horrors of coming to terms with losing somebody in your life, you know, like they're all very emotional horrors, but I do like, you know, obviously um, how everything is manifested in, in that other world, you know, um, and, that, and that's what makes it horror. But I think for me, um, I remember we talked about, I had a bit of a, uh, visceral reaction watching the first episode I didn't have that with the second third and fourth and I think it's because what we're just talking about right now being partners in a relationship like that is such like a soothing thing to me and that comes across very loud and clear and even after death Lisi is trying to still be a teammate to Scott through everything that's happening I I think yeah yeah. Indeed. Wow. Um, what else? What else? Is there anything else that stood out to you that um, we should? Um, um, Amanda and Scott. Amanda and Scott. Oh, yeah. I f- yeah, definitely them. I feel like they are so close because they are two people who go to the same place 
and they get it. And I mean, even Amanda um, references that at, at their wedding, you know, and she mm-hmm. straight up tells Lisi, you know, you need to take care of Scott. Yeah. This is how, you know, this is who you are to him. You need to take care of him. And I mean, also that coming from Amanda is really heartbreaking because, you know, she's had part partners, husbands just up and leave her and then mm-hmm. look what it's kind of done to, to her psyche, you know, like sure. One person, you know, leaves you out of the blue, right? That's tough. That is such a tough thing to get through, but I, you know, you can do it, but when it happens again and again, God, that weighs you down, you know, that's just, you know, and then you develop fear of abandonment and all, and all of that stuff. But I f- also felt like Amanda really liked Scott because there is not only was there somebody who could finally get it, but then by proxy, you know, she would end up getting a lot more support from not just Amanda, but Scott as well, because there's a general like understanding of what everybody is going through. And I feel that connection with Amanda and Scott was something that was totally special. And I think Lisi kind of knew to some extent and, and appreciated it, but that was another good relationship, I feel. Yeah. I mean, it, and it's one of those things where I'm sure because their relationship is something Lizzie could never give him. Mm-hmm. I mean, she tried to understand, right? It's the difference between sympathy and empathy. Yeah. You know, and, and knowing how something is because you've been through it and, and trying to put yourself in that place. Lizzie could try to understand. Yeah. And Lizzie could support Scott. And Lizzie could, you know, do what she could to support him and 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 whatever she's never been there yeah so there's always going to be that disconnect between what he's really going through because she can only do so much and and it's not a thing of she doesn't want to or you know Mm. she doesn't love or anything like it's just that's the way it is yeah if you haven't been there you don't know and so having someone that you know knows what it feels like they're just that's a connection yeah they're just some things you can't explain with words like when somebody who just gets it it just they get it deep in their core and then they know it and you know it and you just understand it's this unspoken thing and that can be really comforting you know yeah I mean someone who understands you no matter what it is whether you have depression anxiety uh, ADHD whether you have autism whether you have whatever type of of thing you have Mm -hmm. If you know somebody who also has that thing, they're going to understand it in a way that that someone who doesn't can't possibly, even though they try and they make, you know, I have friends who are autistic. I have friends with ADHD. I have friends with depression and anxiety, and I try my best to support them as best I can, but that's not something I can ever understand. Yeah. You know, my husband has ADHD. I don't, you know, I do my best. We do our best to work around it. I know it, you know, we work through it and and whatever, but we have another friend who has ADHD and I'm not going to understand that aspect the way they do when they get together and mm-hmm. talk about ADHD. Yeah, I'm just not, you know, and that's nothing to be upset about. It's just, that's just the way it is. And and I think you're right. That's the, that's the relationship that Amanda and Scott had. Yeah. Um, is it just, they knew they'd both been to that place. Yeah. They'd both cut, cut themselves. They'd both been there. And so there's that connection, you know, and when Scott goes to health her, he says, it's just, just between you and I, just, just us, just you and me. Yeah. You know, when he goes to help her by himself, um, you know, and shoots uh, all that water into her mouth. And I was just like, what? <laughs> I was not yeah, expecting that, happening? but it's, the healing water, you know? Um, but yeah. And I mean, and that's also, that also kind of brings up an important point too. you know, even if you are in a romantic relationship with somebody, like you cannot be their everything, you know, they have to have their people who understand different aspects of them or their life or whatever. And it's okay. You know, you're not going to, understand everything you're not going to be able to be there in the way that they need for everything every moment when time when time gets tough you know but a good partner is somebody 
who realizes that and is like, okay, what I can do for you now is to let you go where you need to go to get the help that you're looking for or the comfort that you're looking for is, you know, and it's, it's for, I think for a lot of people in relationships, I know, especially for me, when, when I, when I was younger, like, it was a very hard thing for me to wrap my head around because in there was also kind of this pervasive non-understanding and this culture of my, you know, I, I don't know how to put it into words, but this was like how everybody was around me. And I think it had a lot to do with how, you know, the time in which we all grew up, but it was kind of expected, you know, like, oh, you're with somebody, you know, you literally have to help them with everything. And then mm-hmm. some people, you know, that would freak them out and they would just be like, okay, I'm gone. I feel, I feel fucking smothered. Um, and then there are other people, you know, who put, you know, and then, you know, those, those people eventually finally realize like I'm putting too much on this person. I am, you know, trying to ask too many things of them that they are incapable of doing um but because you know that that person may be giving them everything it feels unfair and unbalanced when all you need to do is take that power back and just be like okay you know what i'm done or like come to an understanding or just be okay with them going to somebody else you know it's a hard thing to learn but i think that's what i admire about and kind of like Amanda, Scott, and Lisi, they kind of understand that, I think. And maybe Darla, um, I don't know, we have to watch the other episodes, but I feel like maybe Darla doesn't quite get that, (laughs) along with everybody else. (laughs) You can see, because when Scott came, he went by himself, and he said, you know, Lisi wanted to come, but I convinced her not to. Yeah. And you could see that that it was that thing that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Like, Scott knew that he could go and help her and Lisi trusted him to do that she didn't understand it probably like why do you need to go by yourself you know what are you going to do and stuff like that but she did it she trusted it and so he went by himself and he was able to help yeah Amanda but he knew he wouldn't be there the whole time to do so so he kind of set up for her being helped but yeah uh, you know but she trusted him in that she knew that Scott could probably, you know, she got the feeling or she trusted Scott when he said, I can help her better than you can. Yeah. Even though she's your sister, I can help her better than you can. I've been there. So Lisey said, you know, okay, probably we didn't get to see that, that conversation, but that's how I imagine yeah. it happened. And then he goes over there and he helps her. Yeah. And she doesn't know what he did or whatever, but it doesn't matter. You know, she trusted him doesn't matter. To, it to yeah. do it and, and it happened. So, Yeah. All in all, so so final thoughts. What did you think? Oh my god, I am loving it. I cannot wait to watch the second half. Uh, There's just I feel like there's so much to delve into, and an hour definitely isn't long enough. And there's just going to be so much more to delve into. And I think our next episode, we're totally going to come back with. A lot. I think we might have changed our opinions on what's like going on now. We might have some different thoughts. I feel like we're going to get a lot of new information and it's going to be equally as exciting to talk about. So, yes. Yeah. Lizzie Story. If you part two. Oh, next week. But yeah. So, if you haven't started watching Lizzie Story yet on Apple TV Plus, you should probably do it. Yeah. This was my first time actually getting into the uh, streaming service and oh my god there's a lot of good stuff on there and I think all right I gotta oh there goes another 10 bucks a month or whatever so (laughs) no but yeah it is fantastic it's really good yeah okay so um that's it for us for this time next time you're gonna be doing part two we will be doing episode five the good brother episode six now you must be still episode seven no light no spark and episode eight wheezy story um you'll doing the last four episodes in this eight 
Um, and I will say, I also thought Clive Owen did great as Scott personally. Yeah. So I will add that we haven't mentioned that, but I thought everybody did great. Really everybody well. did great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, thanks for stopping by listening to us go on about Lizzie's story part one. Um, and next time, as I said, we're going to be doing part two. And um, you can follow us on Twitter at the box underscore podcast on Slasher at tell us what's in the box. And you can listen to us on Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Podbean. And remember, shake the box before you open it. Oh, look, it's dice <laughs> in my box. <laughs> <laughs> shake the box before you open it or the long boy will come out. Oh, no. And get you. <laughs>